0: God has privileged my wife, Jory, and me with nine children. Uh, We're not rich, but we're rich in kids. Uh, I am married to a godly wife who led all nine of our children to Christ when they were young, like two or three. And we are pleased that most of our kids are sincerely pursuing their faith. Uh. Some are serving uh, God in, in ministry, and some are serving God in their churches. Uh, we live out in the country, uh, so our kids have learned to work hard. They know how to mow lawns, edge fences and lawns, power wash fences, uh, chainsaw trees, ch- chop them into firewood, uh, pull weeds, uh, Just, you know, muck stalls, care for the pastures. Uh, They also know how to do all the jobs inside of a house that are necessary. I said to our daughter, Jamie, recently, I said, when you meet your husband, uh, he's going to be pleased to learn that you not only love God, but you're also smart and beautiful and you know how to maintain a house inside and out. They've all learned how to be hard workers, not only around the house, uh, but in their careers. We went back to see Mark uh, this summer in Louisville and and he told me, Dad, don't worry about me and my career. He graduated in a degree in criminology from University of Louisville this last year. And he says, "Uh, don't worry, Dad, I'm a Kincaid. Uh, Our kids have also learned to think outside the box. Whenever our kids have been gonna do something, Uh, do some project, and this is what they're going to do. Jory will say something like, now tell me five more ways you could do that. So they've learned to be out-of-the-box thinkers, how to solve problems. Kids pick up our good traits. Unfortunately, they also pick up our bad traits. When Jory and I got married, just a few days into our marriage, she was horrified to find me smelling my socks and underwear. What? I mean, I this just, just is perfectly normal. I was trying to see if I could get another day out of them, right? When we had our first five children, all boys, Jory was dismayed to find that now she had five little boys that were smelling their socks and underwear. Our kids pick up our good traits and our bad traits. Jory's first book was called The Power of... Of modeling. We model our parents, both the good and the bad. When it comes to faith, we're called to model God, to model our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle uh, Peter writes As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so Be holy holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Truth in advertising is something we all value. When a company advertises a product that it will do something, we expect it to deliver. If we claim to follow Christ, people expect us to show them evidence that we know Christ. If we claim to follow Christ, people expect us to show evidence that we know him. If you're not a Christian, if you know a friend or work associate who's a Christian, you expect them to give evidence in their lives that they know Christ. Living like God, modeling our lives after Jesus, give evidence that we know him. In Jesus' final words to his disciples, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. He says, we're not just to believe, we're to obey everything I've commanded you. Evidence that we know Jesus is shown not in just what we believe, but in what we do. Living a good life serves as evidence of faith. Nowhere, to find, nowhere do we find better instruction than modeling our lives after Christ provides evidence that we know him that, than in the Apostle Paul's 46-verse letter to one of his disciples, a man named Titus. Apparently, Paul worked alongside Titus on the island of Crete. Uh, we believe the churches in Crete got their start when, Jesus, when Peter gave his famous sermon in Jerusalem. About the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and three thousand people became believers on one day. Some of those believers, we believe, were from Crete, and after uh, that, they went back to their uh, to Crete and with their newfound faith and started churches. It appears that Paul had the privilege of leading Titus uh, to faith. Uh, he writes in his letter to Titus, "My true son." In our common faith. Apparently, he led Titus to Christ. Uh, Luke tells us that Titus went along with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey throughout uh, uh, the Roman province of Asia. When Paul found it necessary to return from Crete, he sent Titus a letter telling him how he should shepherd the churches in Crete and how he should choose leaders. For the churches. What is Titus to look for in people he chooses to lead the church? He is to look for those whose lives give evidence that they know Christ. Why is a Christian's conduct so important? It's because Paul knows that people lead primarily through modeling. Uh, unless our faith leads to right conduct, Paul tells Titus, it's inauthentic. Now, like in any good speech, right up front, Paul states the theme of his letter, that knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. First verse, Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. The best evidence of a person's faith is shown in a person living a good life. You find the main point in a book, uh, the main point in Titus, by looking for words that are frequently repeated. Six times in this short letter, we find the combination of two Greek words, ergon agathon, which means good deeds. So let me just read where these six uh, uses of these words are. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable. Whoa, go back. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. By the way, this is David Kopp's first Sunday on PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, Now we can go forward, I think. In everything... Set them an example by doing what is good, ergon Agathon, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Our people must learn to devote themselves to Ergon Agathon in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So, authentic faith is demonstrated by doing what is good. Uh, it produces godliness. How would you rank yourself on a godliness scale? As we look at this letter to Titus, allow God to put your life under the microscope. Let the light of his truth search you. Joe Bailey writes, in words that are not complimentary to us, I don't think any observer would dispute the fact that the evangelical Protestant subculture, evangelicals are those who believe the Bible is true from cover to cover and that Jesus is the only way to God, has been overrun by the general American culture's values. If divorce rates have risen in the general culture, they've also risen among evangelical Protestants. Christians follow a similar pattern of TV viewing, movie watching, music they listen to, and buying as much stuff as the next guy. So how are we at Portland Community Church doing at living out our faith? I think we're doing pretty well. I hear, seldom as a week go by, that I don't hear something good about one of you report that you're living as a beacon of light in the community, and people are impressed. Does your life at work work? Or school, wherever you go, demonstrate that you're a Christian? Now, when we don't live a good life, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it means you surrender the evidence to show other people that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it means you give other people the right to conclude that you may not be a Christian. If your mate, ex-mate... Mom, dad, son, or daughter make a commitment to Christ, you have a right to expect change in their life. If you don't see it, you have a right to wonder if they are a Christian. So, in this first chapter to Titus, Paul identifies three ways where godly conduct serves as evidence of Christian faith. First, the believer's family and family life give evidence of authentic faith. Uh, The Christian leader's family life must bring honor to Christ. If our Christian faith doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, these elders that he's talking about uh, could be paid, but most of them were unpaid. They could be full-time or they could be part-time, and maybe they're working another job uh, to support them so they can serve the Lord in leading this church. All right, next slide. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. The argument is that if leaders in the church fail in their homes, how can they be expected to do a credible job of leading the household of God? Paul Paul says that a, a pastor or elder must be blameless. This cannot possibly mean that they're sinless. You could have no leader in the church. I would have to step down. Paul means that Christian leaders have a good reputation. No one can can, uh, accuse them of some crime or hidden sin that discredits the cause of Christ. They're above reproach. When they sin, they're quick to confess it. They don't harbor a secret sin. Paul says a pastor must be faithful to his wife. Some use this verse to suggest that anyone who's divorced and remarried cannot be a leader in the church. Although failure in the sacred covenant of marriage uh, certainly needs to be looked at in the selection of church leaders, I do not believe it rules out the possibility of a person serving as a leader in the church. Circumstances of the disillusion of the marriage need to be looked at. Maybe it occurred before the person was a believer, didn't know about the teachings of the Bible. Maybe the person was faithful and did everything possible to save the marriage. Maybe it took place before the individual knew Christ. Uh, possibly the person has repented, is in living in obedience to Christ, and uh, is, is serving the Lord and demonstrates maturity to serve as a leader in Christ church. Uh, Paul's point is that the leaders are to be maritally faithful in cultivating strong and growing marriages. Uh, some people claim that since Paul addresses only husbands, In the qualifications that women cannot serve as pastors or elders. Uh, There's no question that Paul's list of qualifications suggests that uh, only men will serve. But there are several places in Scripture that show women in biblical times served in significant positions of leadership. There's Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, Deborah, one of the judges, uh, Esther in Persia, Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Priscilla, teaching in the New Testament church, Anna, the prophetess, those are just a few. That these women did such significant things in a culture that considered women second-class citizens is not insignificant. And there's no question that Jesus, more than anybody else in history, liberated women and lifted up women. I think we can assume that Paul's counsel to Titus to choose men to serve as elders was because he knew the people in Crete would not accept women at that point. But if you have a culture that has lifted up women to a place where equality with men is widespread, uh, the the New Testament does not oppose women in leadership. Paul also tells Titus that leaders must have children who believe and are not open to the charges of being wild and disobedient. Uh, Christian leaders are held responsible for the beliefs and practices of those in their household. Paul is saying that if, if your faith doesn't work in your home, you lose credibility as a church. Now, that doesn't mean you're responsible for every choice your children make. I mean, Adam and Eve sinned against God. God hasn't had children not, you know, not follow him. Uh, But it matters uh, how how all the members of your household are doing. Second, the believer's public and private life brings evidence of authentic faith. So Paul writes, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. So there we have uh, the word blameless again. They're not to be overbearing, quick-tempered. Uh, when a leader is, is hard to work with, they're running roughshod over people. That's not good. They're not to be given to drunkenness. Leaders are invited to lots, lots of social occasions. They need to give an example in their lives for people. Uh, they're not to be greedy for gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. People who open up their homes and lives to people who are good and self-controlled and holy, attract people, inspire people to follow Jesus. If you have this kind of uprightness, and integrity, you are becoming a rarity in our day. You can be used greatly by God because people are looking for people they can model their lives after. Many people have told me they've been turned off by doing business with someone in the church. They thought that a simple handshake with a fellow Christian would be enough. But instead, their working relationship turned into a business nightmare. If you're honest and keep your word, you'll be a walking advertisement for Christ. Authentic Christian faith reveals itself in a person's family life, personal life, and third, the believer's teaching should produce godly conduct in those who sit under the teaching. Paul writes, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, and it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Not only is their personal life and family life reveal Christ's transformation, but their teaching is also pure and accurate. Uh, the, the teachers of the Bible teach that the Bible is fully accurate from beginning to end. Paul writes in verse 2, A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So the teaching of the of the Bible is that all of Scripture is inspired by God. And God does not lie, therefore you can believe it from cover to cover. Paul tells Titus how he can spot and refute false teaching. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. These were Christians who believed that, Gentile believers needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. It was a rough culture. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to, mere, to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. A false teaching ultimately leads to false practice. Paul tells us, It then corrupts our conscience. False teaching begins with theological error, and it ultimately leads to moral error. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. False teachers claim to know God, but by their lives, they prove otherwise. One of the best ways to identify theological error is by looking at the lives of the teachers. True biblical teaching always leads to godliness. Heretical teaching always leads to immorality. Paul Tillich is a name you may not recognize. He was a German-American theologian who left Germany in 1933. He saw what Hitler was doing, and he said, I'm getting out of here. He came to teach in Union Theological Seminary, Presbyterian Seminary in the United States, and then at Harvard Divinity School, and then ultimately at University of Chicago Divinity School. All those are liberal schools, so they don't believe the Bible is true from cover to cover and that Jesus is the only way to God. Some people said that Tillich was one of the greatest theologians of the last century. I'm not sure I agree because I disagree with almost everything he writes. After his death, his wife came out with a tell-all book telling about his sexual escapades and immorality, things she tried to overlook during his lifetime. Her biographical revelations called into question all of his writings. His liberal Theology eventually led to immoral practices. It's always been that way. Titus is told to watch carefully over what is taught in the church. I put a lot of trust in the people that work in our kids' space and our youth department. And I try to uh, oversee who are leading our groups, our growth groups. Uh, the, one of the best ways I can ascertain what a job they're doing is by looking at their lives. God's truth always leads to godliness. How would you rate your godliness? Godly living, good living, is one of the best evidences that you know Christ. By looking at your life, how would the people at school or at your place of work, your neighborhood, your family, see you? Living a good life serves as evidence of faith. People are watching you. I find that motivates me to realize that everywhere I go, people are watching me, and I'm likely to run into somebody who knows who I am. There's somebody else who's watching you. God is watching. Bob Richards, the Olympic pole vaulter, used to love to tell the story about the goof-off on the high school football team. He was always fooling around, and if there was trouble on the team, he was in the middle of it. Uh, he didn't like to work hard at practice. Uh, he liked to put on the uniform, but he didn't like to charge the line. Um, he liked to hear the crowd, you know, cheer, but he didn't want to, wanted to put in the work. So one day he was doing his usual five laps while the rest of the team was doing 50 laps, and uh, the coach says, hey, I got a note for you. He says, read it to me. Kid was so lazy, didn't even want to read his own note. You read it to me, coach. And so the the coach read it to him. He says, son, please come home. Your father just died. Coach swallowed hard. and He said, hey, take the rest of the week off. He didn't care if the kid took the rest of the season off. Um, Well, Kim, come Friday night... Teams came running out of the locker room to play, and here was that kid. Game had no sooner started, and he was talking to us. Goes, coach, coach, you got to put me in today. The coach is thinking, wait a minute, this is homecoming, this is a big game, I'm not playing you. The only people I'm playing are, are our real players, and you're not one of them. So the first quarter started, and Coach's team fell behind. Kids badgering him. Coach, I gotta play. Coach said no. Second quarter, the team got further behind. Second half, teams came out and his team got even worse. The coach is thinking, you know, about his resignation letter. Coach, kids still saying, "Hey, coach, I gotta play." So finally, the coach thought, "Well, you know, what can it hurt?" So I put him in. No sooner had this kid got in the game than he ignited the whole team. He was tackling and running and catching and blocking like never before. And the score evened up. And in the last seconds, this kid intercepted a pass, ran it all the way for a touchdown. People in the crowd were going crazy. This was everybody's hero. After things settled down, the coach went over to him. He says, what happened out there? I've never seen you do that before. His coach, remember when I got that note? My dad died? Yeah. My dad was blind. And today was the first time he ever got to see me play. Knowing that God is watching you may motivate you to live a good life that honors Christ. Our kids are watching and have watched Jory and me. Your kids are watching you. Your friends, your classmates, your teammates, work associates are all watching you. Does your life show that you know God? If you'd like to experience his power to change you, you can commit your life to Jesus Christ right now as we pray. Let's do that. Father, thank you for this letter, the Apostle Paul, to his young disciple Titus. And he, the main point of his letter is that our lives, living good lives, serves as the best evidence that we know Christ. So we want to live in a way that honors you this week. So people in our family and where we work and where we go know that we know you. And so we commit our lives to you today and to living for you this week and letting you work to change us to become the people you want us to be. I want you to pray right now just where you are. Tell God you want to live a way that honors him this week. And you're aware that He's watching you and that other people are watching you. Your family's watching you. So you're on your toes. You commit your life to Christ right now. Father, thank you for Your word, Apostle Paul's words to us. And we commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to living in a way that honors you.